Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 92.9 FM WLRI in Hawaii, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, 94.1 FM, Palinville, New York, 102.9 FM WLPP, WPRR in Grand Rapids, Michigan, AM 950 in the great state of Minnesota. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Also streaming, as as ever, five days a week on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thank you for joining us today for the uh, thrilling adventure that we enjoy calling The Bradcast. Uh, We have been covering the wildly unpopular Republican plan to replace Obamacare over the past week or so. Uh, And, of course, the the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office's finding just a day or two ago that the legislation, if passed by Congress and signed by Donald Trump, would result in some 24 million Americans losing their health care coverage over the next 10 years. 14 million of them would lose lose their coverage according to the CBO, in 2018 alone. So uh, after uh, the uh, doctors, nurses, hospitals, insurers, Democrats, Republicans, and now the CBO have all pretty much uh, come out against this legislation, we're, we're now finally getting some numbers on how the public feels about the bill, the uh, Republican bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. That and much more is coming up in a bit, along with your calls on, well, pretty much anything you like, uh, if we can get to them. We've got a lot to cover. Our phone number uh, is and will be 985, uh, I'm sorry, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, if you want to get in with a thought or two. Uh, we'll also be joined a little bit later, as usual, as ever. By the delightful and lovely Desi Doyen with the latest Green News report as extremely extreme weather Uh, from extreme warmth just a few days ago with uh, temperatures in the 60s and 70s to extreme snow and wind and blizzard conditions over the past 24 hours continues to whiplash 
uh, the northeast of these United States and in the middle of March. According to the Weather Channel, the storm uh, that they call Winter Storm Stella, and I, got, I, I disagree with the outrageous notion that the Weather Channel gets to unilaterally declare their own names for winter storms and blizzards. In any event, that storm is still uh, ringing out snow in the interior of the northeast as we go to air today. It's producing strong winds up to 50 miles per hour in some areas. Uh, some areas that received up to 42 inches of snow from this blockbuster blizzard in March. Stella, uh, as they call it, uh, uh, became the, uh, the heaviest snowstorm on record in Binghamton, New York, surpassing winter storm Argos, as Weather Channel calls it, uh, just this past November. As of early this morning, more than 31 inches of snow had been measured in Binghamton uh, at the uh, airport there in a 22-hour period. You had one to th- one to three foot accumulations piled up in parts of the Northeast, led by 42 inches, 42 inches in West Winfield, New York. Uh, at least one location in 15 different states had seen a foot of snow in the Midwest and the Northeast from this storm. As of early early today, there have been uh, at least 450 reports of at least one foot of snow in the Northeast, including parts of Connecticut, which saw uh, more than 21 inches. Maine saw more than 22 inches. Massachusetts, over 21 inches. New Hampshire, 20, uh, almost 24 inches in places. New Jersey saw 20 inches. New York, of course, I mentioned West Winfield with 42 inches of snow. Uh, other places near Utica, 36 inches. Binghamton, 32 inches. At Bradley International Airport near Windsor Locks, Connecticut, uh, the, the uh, 15, almost 16 inches of snow yesterday was the snowiest calendar day in any spring month in records dating back to 1905. It was the heaviest snowstorm on record. Uh, I'm sorry, the third heaviest snowstorm on record in Burlington, Vermont, according to the National Weather Service. And it may still threaten to uh, to uh, top the uh, the other two storms on that list. Burlington reported five inches of snow in one hour on Tuesday. In Albany, New York, 17 inches of snow was a single-day record. An incredible snowfall rate of 7 inches in a single hour was reported in Ilion, New York, just east of Utica. But alas, with all of that, instead of the up to 2 feet that uh, forecasters said might fall on New York City... The area there instead saw a mix of snow and sleet, which kept the total snowfall to only, and I'm putting only in air quotes on the radio, to only seven or eight inches in mid-March. And because that's what happened in New York City, where the nation's media are largely headquartered, uh, the entire thing, to some, was a bust. The meteorologists were wrong again. That was especially acute in the opportunistic right-wing media, where Matt Drudge of the Drudge Report, sets the narrative for many outlets, both right and non-right, frankly. Uh, And he declared that the storm was evidence that uh, Donald Trump should clear out the National Weather Service. Drudge called for Trump to, quote, clear out climate hysterics from the National Weather Service after the federal agency 
incorrectly forecasted a storm, a snowstorm barreling uh, the northeast, according to Business Insider. What is going on with the National Weather Service, Drudge asked on Twitter when it became clear on Tuesday, contrary to forecasts uh, that uh, would uh, that the storm would spare New York City a little bit. Lots of misses piling up, Drudge said. Overreaction by governments. Bad forecasting. Very troubling trend, said Matt Drudge. Drudge, who in October suggested without evidence that the federal government exaggerated the intensity of Hurricane Matthew to gin up fear over climate change, said that Donald Trump should clear out the climate hysterics from the National Weather Service. All storms grossly exaggerated, he tweeted. So is that true? Was the storm exaggerated? Is this evidence that something is amiss at the National Weather Service? Donald Trump is already set to call for, uh, well, we just got word, a 31 percent, just coming in from The New York Times, a 31 percent cut to climate study and protection at our Environmental Protection Agency, as well as cuts to the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. They run the weather satellites that the National Weather Service and other meteorological services depend on. Now, the last time a right-winger like that called for a purge, this was Sean Hannity a few days ago calling for a purge of what he called Obama's deep state intelligence network. Uh, After uh, Hannity did that, Trump fired all of the uh, Department of Justice's U.S. attorneys the very next day. So um, will Trump be listening to Drudge? Should Trump be listening to Drudge? What the heck is going on here? Here to help us understand what the heck is going on here is our friend and meteorologist, Paul Douglas. He's been a Minnesota broadcast meteorologist for more than 40 years. Some of our listeners on our affiliate AM 950 KTNF up in Minneapolis, St. Paul may be familiar with Paul. He's a founder and senior meteorologist at Eris Weather which provides tailored weather services for business and media outlets. Uh, and he writes uh, weather and uh, climate column for uh, for Minneapolis Star Tribune. He also serves on the Climate Science Rapid Response Team, which delivers accurate science information to media and government representatives. And he is the co-author of the new book, Caring for Creation, The Evangelical's Guide to Climate Change and a Healthy Environment, which he wrote with uh, Minister... Uh, of the uh, and coal miner's son from the Evangelical Environmental Network, uh, also a previous guest on this show, Reverend Mitch Hescock. Uh, yes, Paul Douglas is our favorite Republican meteorologist. Uh, hey, Paul Douglas, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. That's a that's a pretty small club, isn't it, Brad? Uh, of, of our favorite Republican meteorologists. Yeah. Well. Yeah, well. Yeah, who doesn't deny climate science? Yes, indeed. Uh, that is a smaller and smaller club, I'm sorry to say. Listen, I know you're you're normally based in Minnesota, Paul, uh, and we're, you were supposed to be enjoying a spring vacation, and then this storm breaks out, ruins it for you, jerks like me call you with a bunch of questions. So I really appreciate you joining us, because I've got a, 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 a number of meteorological questions first, Paul, uh, before we get to some science and politics. So, do you mind? Uh, no, not at all. For, OK, first, before we get to even where the storm is uh, today, uh, w- most importantly, where do you stand in this great national naming of winter storms by the Weather Channel debate? Uh, are they allowed to do that, Paul Douglas? 
Oh, it, it's America. Uh, you know, <laughs> you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Um, I, I think, you know, it's, it's the triumph of marketing. Yeah. And I, I know the people at the Weather Channel. I have a lot of friends at the Weather Channel. I have a lot of respect for the Weather Channel. We launched a, uh, a separate channel called Weather Nation mm-hmm. back in 2011. And I know for a fact that Weather Nation does not name winter storms. The reason that the National Hurricanes are names hurricanes and tropical storms is to avoid confusion. If there are numerous storms at once, uh, research shows that if you attach a name mm-hmm. to a storm, it helps the public keep things straight. Uh, when it comes to winter storms, I, I, I'm not sure you can draw the same conclusion, but it, you know, it's, it's marketing and and I, I don't blame them for doing it, but there's really no scientific reason why winter storms should be named other than it's good marketing, good branding. You're, you know what? You're right. Only in America would we be marketing the weather. But I guess that's what we're doing here uh, with naming these storms now, at least as the Weather Channel is. All right, next question, Paul Douglas. Uh, this came up yesterday on, on yesterday's broadcast in relation to what happened in the Northeast, where, where it had been very warm uh, recently, and, and then suddenly uh, this nor'easter appears. Uh, what is bombogenesis? Uh, and uh, a- a- am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, that's that's rapid intensification. That's when you have a storm that is intensifying very, very rapidly, and it's literally a partial vacuum, and air rushing into that partial vacuum can reach speeds up to hurricane force. And we had some wind gusts of, you know, 60, almost 70 miles an hour, with this blizzard. So it's the rate of strengthening. Mm-hmm. And Brad, we are seeing more intense blizzards, not just New York City, but also Philly and Boston and Washington, D.C. New York City, I, I found it interesting, between 1869 and 1996, there were two blizzards with 20 inches or more of snow during that entire period. Since 1996, there have been five mm. separate 20-inch blizzard. So we're getting these supersized storms, and, you know, whether it's California, whether it's Louisiana, South Carolina, Ellicott City, Maryland, you know, when it precipitates now, it tends to rain and snow harder, and that applies to our uh, winter blizzards as well. Mm. There's simply more water vapor, more moisture, more fuel in the air that when these storms get going, there's a better chance they're going to put down amazing amounts of water. And as you mentioned at the top of your show, it even though it spared the big city centers, the media centers, uh, just inland, it was truly an historic storm. Just the amount of real estate, the thousands of square miles that picked up you know, one to two to three feet of snow, I think this storm will go down into the record books, even though New York City didn't get 15, 18 inches. And have you noticed that phenomenon that if New York City does not get hit, uh, sometimes it's as if the storm doesn't exist. I've been watching that for years and years uh, because I used to live in New York City. We'd get these these forecasts. Uh, They seem to miss a lot in New York. I don't know if it's because of the tall buildings or or if that has any effect. The water. What is that? It's the 
it's the water. It's the proximity to water. Uh, you know, it, it's maddening if you're a meteorologist. It's, as I explain to people, meteorology is not an exact science like economics or mm-hmm. foreign policy. Um, you're off by 10 miles, and that can make the difference between 7 inches and 15 inches. Mm-hmm. And that was the case with this storm. You literally go up into Westchester County, parts of North Jersey, you know, the immediate northern and western suburbs of New York City did in fact see a foot or more of snow. But yep. right downtown, midtown, Central Park, it was more like seven, eight inches of slushy, sleety snow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's described as a bust. But weather forecasting is hard. I mean, predicting <laughs> the future is hard. You know, Matt Drudge and his ilk, you know, you can you can put a monkey in a sport coat to report on what already happened. Try predicting news headlines. Try predicting sports scores. How's your fantasy football doing this year? You know, predicting the future is not for the faint of heart, and the people at the Weather Service use the science and do the best jobs they can, and they're usually pretty doggone close. Yep. But in this case, you know, 10, 20 miles made all the difference between 7 inches and 15 inches of snow. And you've you've mentioned about uh, the uh, the additional amount of moisture in the air, and it's something that uh, you and I, Paul, have talked about uh, as as you've uh, come on the show. After these big storms, we're seeing we seem to be seeing more and more of these huge storms, as you note. But uh, at the same time, February 2017 was uh, just found uh, to be to have been the second hottest February on record in the U.S. I think uh, it, it was beat only by last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Now, the U.S. Uh, Geological Survey even announced that spring had come early this year because of the weather, and then comes this storm. So, aside from the amount of moisture, uh, is it unusual to have such a a large late-season March snowstorm of this size and strength, of course, but uh, to have it pop up this late in the year, particularly after a stretch of really warm conditions, is that unusual as well, Paul? It is unusual, but, you know... (laughs) We hear a lot about fake news now. Now now we're getting fake spring. Uh, The growing season is lengthening, Brad, and and that's the case across much of the United States, certainly east of the Rockies. The growing season is longer. Uh, Spring comes a couple of weeks earlier than it did a generation ago. It lingers a couple of weeks later into the autumn. But what's especially problematic in the spring is that the date of the last frost and freeze hasn't shifted appreciably. So even though we get the warmth now earlier, mm-hmm. that can be a cue. Uh, crops start blossoming, plants, flowers, shrubs, trees go into bloom, but then you still have that last frost or freeze, which, which can go into April and even early May. And so you increase the potential for crop damage, for tree damage. I'm I'm not sure what's going to happen with the cherry blossoms in Washington this year, but we we Mm. sort of set ourselves up for more damage because, you know, nature is as confused as many of our politicians, it seems. (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, confused politicians and setting ourselves up for damage... 
The uh, the Donald Trump administration, Paul, uh, has proposed slashing the budget of, uh, well, I mentioned uh, the EPA. Uh, we've also got word that they're uh, looking at slashing the budget of NOAA, of the National Oceanic, Oceanic and Admi- Atmospheric Administration. Uh, it's my understanding that NOAA provides something like 90 percent of the weather data used in the U.S., um, their satellites. How important is NOAA's uh, data to the work that you and and uh, other weather forecasters do, Paul? It's essential, and it's not just essential for the private sector, it's essential for the military. A lot of that satellite data powers the models that the military uses uh, for their forecasts, which literally, you know, life or death around the world. So, you know, it's it's the old adage, Brad, it's, it's junk in, junk out. 90% of the data that fuels the computer models that we use come from satellite observations. We launch weather balloons, we use other sources of, of real-time data, but we really rely on satellites. And the biggest disproportionate chunk that, that may be cut out of NOAA's budget is coming from NESDIS, which is the, uh, the satellite division. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to replace some of the satellites that are already in orbit that have reached their the point of, of no return. In many cases, they they've outperformed um, their their effective uh, dates. You know, these satellites mm-hmm. usually have a a staying power of anywhere from from ten to twelve to fifteen years, and many of them how have outlived their lifespan. So they need to be replaced, they need to be upgraded, and by slashing that budget, I mean, God forbid, the next time we have a Sandy-style or a Katrina-sized storm, and the warnings are off, and we can connect the dots and say, yeah, the reason that the warnings were off is that the satellite data wasn't included, and uh, people died. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be one of the politicians responsible for hacking NOAA's uh, budget. Mm. And, and this, this is particularly germane. You remember with, uh, with Sandy, the European model did a better job. Yeah. It, it outperformed NOAA. Right. About seven, eight, seven, eight days before landfall, uh, the European model you know, showed this thing moving towards New Jersey and not just sweeping out to sea. The reason they went back and, and discovered was because of satellite data. And um, so if we cut out the satellite data, it impacts not just NOVA's models, but global models, different countries, our military, and it, it's going to leave us more vulnerable to... Uh, weather disasters down the road. Paul, do, does, uh, is the European satellite, they got that right on Sandy, uh, do they have newer satellites than we do here in the U.S.? Is that what it's attributed to, or just no. a different style of, of, uh, of, of using them, of forecasting? They have, a, they have different, uh, it's called assimilation. It's the initialization, the data that goes into the weather model. Ironically, the Europeans used our satellite data, low-orbiting satellite data, and they used it effectively in their model to come up with a superior <laughs> forecast. But it, it's a little like uh, running a race car and refueling it while it's still going around the track. Um, the Europeans are doing some things that NOAA is not in terms of spinning up, initializing the models, 
and getting better results. Not every day. In fact, the European was just as wrong as Noah was for New York and Boston mm-hmm. and Philadelphia over overestimating the amount of snow. So there, there is no such thing as a perfect model. Um, is it, we is, all have our good days and our bad days. Is it something, Paul, that, um, you know, the question comes up, uh, well, you run, for example, you run a private weather service. Uh, if, if the NOAA budget is cut, uh, is it fair to say that uh, private weather, you know, private companies will will fill that gap? And and I ask uh, because yeah, I only I only recently came to understand that NOAA itself is part of the Commerce Department. Um, and so, well, hopefully you can speak to that. Why why is NOAA part of the Commerce Department? And uh, if there are drastic cutbacks here, is this something that the uh, the free market, so to speak, the, the the you know private companies can fill that gap? or is it something above and beyond what uh, private companies really can do? I think it's it's above and beyond most of most companies' capabilities to launch weather satellites into space. You know, a company like Google uh, could, could do it, um, but I don't know of any private weather service that's going to spend a few hundred million dollars and have that kind of wherewithal to be able to launch to be able to launch satellites. And the reason that it's in uh, the Department of Commerce is because a third of America's GDP is weather-sensitive. A third. It's not just agriculture. It's retail. It's transportation. It's energy. uh, Mm. Infrastructure. Um, So much of our, our country's ongoing operations are dependent on timely and accurate weather forecasts. And, and no, they're never going to be perfect, but they're good enough that, you know, most days, most companies can optimize their businesses to take into account what the forecast is, um, whether it's, you know, a heat wave or uh-huh. drought. Um, if you can prepare for weather, there's a good chance you can optimize your business, save money, and uh, and operate more efficiently, and, and so, and it is. Really t- it's telling that it was that it's actually in uh, in commerce. That was a total surprise yes. to me when I when I found that out a couple of days ago. Paul, I've got just a, a minute or two here left, but I want to get your take uh, on this clip. We've been talking about it over the past week or so. Uh, this is Trump's. I know you know what clip this is going to be. This is Trump's new EPA chief, Scott Pruitt, uh, on CNBC last week. Uh, he was asked about uh, CO two as the primary reason. For the uh, for the global warming and climate change that we are seeing across the globe, it's kind of an amazing uh, response from both Scott Pruitt and uh, the host here, Joe Kernan, who I believe deserves much scorn for this. Let me play this clip and, and get your thoughts on it, Paul Douglas. Do you believe that it's been proven that CO2 is the primary control knob for climate? No, I think that that measuring with precision uh, human activity on the climate is something very challenging to do, and there's trem- tremendous disagreement about the, the degree of impact. So, no, I would not agree uh, that it's a primary contributor uh, to the to the global warming that we see. Okay. All right. But we don't know that yet. As far as we, we need to, we need to continue the debate and to continue the review and the analysis. It's 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 a. I agree. When I hear the science is settled, it's like I've, I never heard that 
science actually gotten to a point where it was, so that's, that's the whole point of science, is that uh, you keep asking questions, you keep asking questions, but I don't want to be called a denier, so, uh, you know, it scares me. It's, it's a terrible thing to be called. Anyway, Administrator Pruitt, I know you don't want to be called that either. Um, thanks for being with us this morning. I appreciate it. That was, of course, denier Joe Kernan and uh, new EPA director Scott Pruitt. Uh, uh, Paul Douglas, on yesterday's program, we had uh, climate and energy journalist uh, David Roberts, and he responded to those comments as well by explaining that, you know what, this is not about Scott Pruitt. It's about the Republican Party, that if it wasn't Pruitt uh, you know, being a denier at the head of the EPA, there would be another functionary in the job doing the same thing. And uh, David Roberts went on to say it's even more so it's not about facts at this point, uh, that the science is well known. Instead, these comments are about the need to take down institutions themselves, like the science, uh, like science, the scientific community, academia, journalism, etc. So uh, I welcome your overall comments on that uh, on that clip. But I'm also curious as a Republican, Paul, uh, I'm curious about your thoughts, both in, in response to the CO2 thing, but also on what seems to be no less than an assault on many of our key institutions. Uh, and, and I should note it's been underway much longer than just Donald Trump, but he has certainly juiced things up in that regard. Well, who was it who said that it's hard to get a man to believe something when his salary depends on him not believing? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of these campaigns are still being funded by fossil fuel companies, trillions of dollars of carbon still in the ground, little bit of disinformation, a lot of disinformation and confusion goes a long way. Let's kick the can down the road. No, the science isn't settled. Let's keep selling our, our gas and our coal and our oil. And uh, it's a little like where we were with smoking in the 1970s. You know, I was a smoker, and I wanted to believe the Philip Morris-funded scientists who said, you can't prove it, you can't prove it, there's no causal connection. And yet, is there anybody in their right mind today who doesn't believe that smoking does, in fact, increase the risk of lung cancer and heart disease and premature death? You know, but in the 70s, there was misinformation, there was confusion, and that confusion was bought and paid for. And we have that now on a grand cosmic scale when it comes to, to fossil fuels. And who would, who would have thought that Rex Tillerson would be the most level-headed uh, of the bunch yeah. who, who's saying, let's not pull out of the Paris uh, Climate Accord. Uh, there is science. Um, General Mattis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he also is acknowledging that, yes, the military continues to factor uh, climate volatility into their long-range plans. Look at the 17 Republican congressmen who have banded together and are pushing back. Uh, Congressman Curbelo out of Miami, he, they're on the front lines. The seas are rising. That's not a climate model. That, that's based on observations. And uh, they are on the front line, and they are pushing back. And I think you see the start of something that could be significant. It's not going to happen overnight. But there are a lot of conservatives who believe that we should, in fact, be conserving. That conservation applies to the very thing that sustains us, that we could have everything that we want but have a lighter footprint 
on Earth's operating system and that we have to find smarter ways to keep the lights on and the energy powered up and that we are not going to pollute our way to prosperity. And there's nothing in the Bible that says you can pollute in perpetuity and trash God's creation because, oh, we need, we need the jobs and we need... It, it, just, it just doesn't add up. So <laughs> I'm still optimistic that in the long run that uh, common sense will prevail and that uh, there are enough true conservatives and true Republicans who feel that we can have everything we want and need, including economic growth and jobs. Twice as many people now, Brad, employed by the solar industry yep. when it comes to electrical generation than, than fossil fuels. So that argument is going out the window. I, I hope you're right, uh, Paul Douglas. You remain much more optimistic than I do but uh, at this point, but uh, I will uh, take optimism wherever I can find it these days. Paul Douglas, uh, Minnesota broadcast meteorologist, uh, columnist, uh, friend of the broadcast. I hope you don't mind us uh, uh, describing you as, Paul, uh, since you're taking time off, particularly from your vacation, to talk to us today. Uh, you can find uh, more about Paul and his work at pauldouglasweather.com. Dot com, of course, at the StarTribune.com, and you can fi- find him and follow him on the Twitters at P. Douglas Weather. And I also want to note his new book, Go Buy It, Caring for Creation, The Evangelical's Guide to Climate Change and a Healthy Environment. It may help you help your relatives uh, who may be uh, right-wingers who, 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 who listen to Matt Drudge more than they listen to Paul Douglas. It may help them understand why dealing with climate change uh, is so important right now. Paul Douglas, always great talking to you, my friend. Hey, the pleasure was mine. Thank you. And, and Brad, you know this. There are Republicans who believe in facts and data and evidence and uh you watch. I, I think our numbers will grow here, uh, if nothing else, as a reaction to to the current sentiment uh, nationwide. So uh, the final chapter has not been written yet, but you keep doing what you're doing, and uh, we appreciate you getting the word out. Thank you, brother. I was going to say, as you opened uh, this segment, it's a pretty small club, but let's make that club larger, my friend. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. Back to your vacation. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, much more broadcast. Uh, Hopefully some of your calls at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Is that it? Oh, yeah, we'll be back. Uh, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. 
We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. to hear it from you 818-985-5735 is our phone number 818-985-5735 uh whatever's on your mind i'd love to hear from you um in a uh, a striking repudiation of Donald Trump, uh, the New York Times reports the chairman of the House Intel Committee, a Republican, said today that he had seen no indication of Mr. Trump's claim on Twitter that former President Barack Obama wi- uh, wiretapped his phones in Trump Tower during the 2016 presidential campaign. We don't have any evidence that took place. Congressman Devin Nunes, Republican of California and chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, said at a news conference on Capitol Hill today. In fact, I don't believe in the last week of time people we've talked to, I don't think there was an actual tap of Trump Tower, said Nunes. If uh, Trump's Twitter claim is to be taken literally, he said, then clearly the president is wrong. Even a member of uh, Trump's own cabinet, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, raised questions about the claim in Richmond, Virginia. He told reporters he had never given Mr. Trump any reason to believe he had been wiretapped. Other top Republicans were threatening to block Trump's nominee for deputy attorney general if the FBI did not provide evidence related to the possible wiretapping. Nunes and uh, Democratic Representative Adam Schiff of California, he's the uh, he's the ranking Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, said that the FBI director James Comey would testify on Monday at the committee's first public hearing on its Russian interference investigation. Comey could presumably resolve the question about the wiretap, presumably. Schiff also challenged the statement of Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, who said that while he was not aware of any investigation targeting Mr. Trump, the president spoke accurately when he said he had been wiretapped by Mr. Obama. Okay, Congressman Schiff said those two things cannot both be true. Unless he's suggesting that the FBI was engaged in a rogue operation unsupervised by a court in order to wiretap Trump Tower. But Schiff added there is absolutely no evidence of that. So far, the uh, DOJ has refused to say publicly whether it went to a judge to get a secret warrant to eavesdrop on Trump, which puts them, of course, in a difficult position. If the DOJ says there was no wiretap, it would undercut the president's claims. If, on the other hand, there was a wiretap, it would suggest that FBI agents and uh, federal prosecutors had probable cause to believe that uh, Trump as candidate might have been operating as an agent of a foreign power. According to a new PPP poll out today, only 27 percent of voters believe Trump's accusation that Barack Obama tapped his phone during the election last year to 56 percent who don't believe them. 
Trump's voters are uh, are are they're going along with him though. Trump's voters specifically, the the U.S. ain't overall just twenty seven percent believe this, but Trump's voters are going along with him. Fifty seven percent of them think that Trump was in fact tapped to just seventeen percent who don't believe that he was. Speaking of uh, repudiation and um, public policy polling here, uh, PPP's. New National Poll also finds there is very little support for the American Health Care Act. That, of course, is the uh, Republican alternative to uh, to uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Uh, only 24 percent of voters support it. That uh, compared to 49 percent who are opposed, even among Republicans, just 37 are in favor of the proposal. So you've got doctors and nurses and hospitals and insurance companies and conservative groups and progressive groups and, and both Republican and Democratic elected officials, all who have come out strongly against uh, this plan from Donald Trump and Paul Ryan, this scheme to replace Obamacare with a plan that the nonpartisan CBO has said will raise prices for health insurance. It will result in some 24 million Americans losing their health insurance over the next 10 years, 14 million next year alone. And uh, we're now only uh, beginning to hear from voters on this. And the voters, they don't like it. All right, let's get to uh, some calls. Yeah, I got more, but uh, let's get to some calls. 818-985-5735. Let's go to... Um, uh, Aaron in Valley Village. Uh, hey, Aaron, what's on your mind? Welcome to the broadcast. Hi there. Hi, Brad. Good afternoon. Um, there is some stuff. I get a regular update from Roth's story, which I'm thrilled about because a lot of things go under the radar. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came through this morning and then again was about a Trump backer who was caught with an underage minor. And what it is is that it's Senator Ralph Shorty, S-H-O-R-T-E-Y of Oklahoma, who is a heavy-duty evangelical Baptist. He was a missionary in Uganda. Boy, that says volumes. Uh, Married his high school sweetheart 2002, and is best known in Oklahoma for putting through a bill to ban fetuses in food that is consumed. So it's like... Fetuses in food, yeah. Those yeah, are always yeah. the guys. And by the way, I haven't read that uh, report yet. Uh, raw story is usually very good, though, so I'll... I'll uh, I'll, I'll take your word on it and, and their word on it for the moment. Uh, but just to be clear, since you said an underage minor. Oh, yeah. What, you you, you don't mean an underage coal miner. You mean actually someone yeah. who is <laughs> j- underage. You were being redundant with that. Yeah, M-I-N-O-R. Okay. Yeah. yeah. From, uh, okay. What it said is that there, there was a welfare check that uh, I guess at a convenience store, they had a concern. Uh, they went to the Super 8 Motel. And they went to the main office where Ralph Shorty signed in under his own name. And they said he had asked for a room with two beds. When they got there, they found him engaged in something. Oh, and my. They won't say exactly what. In the Super 8 motel with an underage minor, as they put it, uh, they, they went ahead and took them into custody right away. And, one, and they won't go into too much detail on it, but All they right. said one of the things is that there was an extensive text message trail between the two of them prior to this, and that Shorty, out of nowhere, had put a note on his Senate office door that said he was going to be gone for a week. Oh, brother. Okay, thanks, Aaron. So, Salacious. Oh, and, yeah, and yeah. He go was ahead. Trump's, and he was Trump's Oklahoma chairperson. <laughs> of course he was. 
Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. I appreciate your <laughs> salacious phone call. Uh, thank you. 818-985-5735. Uh, Aaron in Pasadena. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, 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 how you doing, Brad? Oh, you know, you're never supposed to ask anybody that now that uh, Trump has been inaugurated. So uh, I, I won't answer. How are you doing, Aaron? Um, I'm hanging in there, sir. I'm okay. All right. What's yeah, on your mind? A few, few things I want to run by you. All right. Pick your best one because we're short on time. Oh, uh, God. That's <laughs> the truth. Sorry. Okay, uh, so with regard, well, it's only because I heard you talking about Drudge today and yeah. the business with the climate change. Uh, what I have to say about that is that uh, what's unusual is that it's happening in the middle of March. Yeah. You, okay. That's one. Yeah. Uh, and the other one, uh, well, I think it's important. Uh, Electoral College brought us Donald Jerk Trump with his porn star wife. No wonder she let go of his pee-grabbing actions. Okay. Okay. I, I do. I do. <laughs> thank, thank you, Aaron. Man, salacious calls today, Desi Doyen. I, I don't want to blame you. I know it's not completely your fault. Yeah, but, it's not uh, my fault at all. Uh, all right. Um, the uh, a couple of uh, shoot, where was this that I wanted to make sure to get to? Since we were talking about Obamacare. Oh yeah, uh, on Obamacare. Um, we have been. Uh, we already know that the uh, the Republican plan to replace. Uh, the ACA will result in millions of Medicaid recipients losing access to health coverage. We also discussed a few days ago how the Republican plan would siphon billions out of the Medicare Medicare trust fund. So it's not just Medicaid. It's also Medicare, uh, which is going to take a hit from this. Uh, we also know that, uh, that that's despite Trump's repeated promises before and after the election that he would not cut Medicaid or Medicare or Social Security. Well, I, you know what? I guess this isn't a cut per se to Social Security. But uh, Matt Fuller noticed uh, over at Huffington Post noticed uh, well, he tweeted uh, yesterday. So uh, not to be morbid, but why does the CBO project that Social Security outlays will fall by three billion under the Republican plan? Well, uh, in fact, that's true. Approximately. 17,000 people could die in 2018 who would otherwise have lived if a House Republican health care uh, proposal, uh, if the Republican uh, health care proposal endorsed by Donald Trump, if it becomes law. By 2026, the number of people killed by uh, Trump care could grow to approximately twenty nine thousand dollars in in that year alone. That's uh, based on uh, uh, some calculations by Think Progress, which has taken the CBO numbers, plugged it into a study that estimates the change in Massachusetts mortality rates after that state enacted the uh, health law that Obamacare was modeled on. And that's how they come to these numbers. Uh, they, let's see, what is it? 16,867 people. Uh, are potentially sentenced to die by Trump care, according to these numbers. By 2026, that number could rise to 28,900 deaths in one year. And, of course, that would explain the decrease in Social Security outlays. Dead people. Swell, huh? All right. Wait, I'm sorry. I just yeah. have to ask for clarification yeah. on that. So you're basically saying that they're they're saying, hey, Social Security 
doesn't require as much of an outlay because those people didn't survive? Because, yes, we got oh more dead goodness. people. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, remember in the run up to Obamacare, we had uh, the study, I think it was also out of Massachusetts, that found something like 43,000 or 48,000 Americans die each year because they don't have coverage who would otherwise be covered uh, under some form of a universal access uh, plan. So, uh, yeah, uh, the, the CBO did not say uh, that there would be uh, that they did not explain why there would be this uh, decrease in Social Security outlays. Uh, but if you put two and two together, uh, hey, uh, yeah, we're going to save money. Three billion dollars uh, from uh, for Social Security by passing this uh, plan that will result in more dead Americans. It's going great, huh? Quick break, and we are back with the Green News Report and more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Unfortunately, uh, we can't stop the world uh, for the Green News Report or for Desi Doyen, although we'd <laughs> like to. You know, it's been yet another unbelievably uh, busy week this week. Oh, and it's so always busy. We never have enough time for all this well, stuff. Well, <laughs> no, not only that, though, because of everything, the madness with uh, Donald Trump, all this stuff that I've been trying to get to all week, uh, we're sort of behind on the on the Green News report. Uh, today's report uh, was actually uh, from yesterday that we didn't get to play yesterday, and, uh, so, and it talks about the Storm. Ste yes, Stella, Stella, which I won't call Stella. <laughs> Talks about the uh, the winter storm. So it's actually a little bit old there. I just wanted to make that clear. Yes. Before we get to it, it's time for our latest Green News Report. So, no, I would not agree uh, that it's a primary contributor uh, to the to the global warming that we see. EPA chief peddles disproven claims on climate change. Disinformation works, poll finds. Elon Musk offers to upgrade Australia's electric grid. Plus... It's a good day to stay home. In any case, it is going to be a dangerous, dangerous situation. From extreme warmth to extreme snow, extreme weather wallops the Northeast. All of those extremes and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. But maybe Pruitt's right. Maybe CO2 isn't the number one cause of global warming. Maybe the cause of the warming is the head of the EPA blowing smoke up the oil industry's ass. Colbert said it, not me. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, along with everything else, it seems that the uh, climate 
at least in these United States, has gone mad. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's extreme warmth and then extreme snow. Just days after unseasonably hot temperatures in the northeastern U.S., now a late-season blizzard for the region that forecasters say could be a record-breaker. Here's New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. 16 to 20 inches of snow, of snow expected. High end could be as much as 24 inches, which would therefore put this in the category of one of the biggest snowstorms in recent memory. And mind you, this is happening in March. Officials are taking precautions, but note that people can adjust to these extremes. However, plants, trees and animals that were fooled by the early onset of spring temperatures will be walloped by this surprise blizzard. Climate scientists have predicted for decades that we'd see a trend to more extreme swings in weather events. You know who else will be fooled? Fox News, because as soon as it starts snowing outside their studios, they will declare once again, see, climate change is a hoax. It's snowing. Now, if February 2017 seemed unusually warm in the U.S. to you, you're right. February 2017 was the second hottest February on record for the United States, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Second only to last February 2016. February 2017 was more than 7 degrees Fahrenheit above normal and helped to trigger massive early season wildfires in the Plains states. And note that there was no El Nino this time to goose temperatures. Data for the whole planet is due out soon. Meanwhile, the American Meteorological Society has rebuked the Trump administration's Environmental Protection Agency administrator, Scott Pruitt, after he falsely denied that carbon dioxide is the primary driver of global warming on CNBC. No, I think that that measuring with precision uh, human activity on the climate is something very challenging to do, and there's tremendous disagreement about the the degree of impact. So, no, I would not agree uh, that it's a primary contributor uh, to to the global warming that we see. Now, in reality, Pruitt knows that the global scientific community has confirmed CO2 emissions as the primary driver of global warming. The American Meteorological Society criticized Pruitt in a statement saying, quote, We are not familiar with any scientific institution with relevant subject matter expertise that has reached a different conclusion. And that's the man who now heads the Environmental Protection Agency. Just had to underscore that. And a new poll from Yale University indicates that such disinformation has succeeded in confusing a majority of Americans about climate change. Americans are easily confused, though. The poll found that two-thirds of Americans do not know that 97% of climate scientists in the world agree that CO2 emissions are causing dangerous global warming. But also striking in this poll, despite their confusion about the facts, strong majorities in every single congressional district support setting strict limits on carbon dioxide pollution. Well, don't let those people know they can vote in 2018. Finally, in Australia, a series of severe storms last fall knocked out South Australia's aging electric grid, causing massive blackouts that their conservative government falsely blamed on renewable energy. (laughs) So billionaire inventor Elon 
Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, has offered to build for the province utility-scale battery systems to prove that renewables plus batteries can be more reliable than coal for electricity. And Musk says he'll do it all in 100 days or it's free. 100 days or it's free. Have they yet to take him up on the offer? No, they haven't. Really? Not yet. So they've got all of these renewables, but they like to say, oh, it doesn't work well enough because the the sun goes down at night, the wind doesn't always blow. Here's a guy with the solution, and they're ignoring it. Well, South Australia will reportedly release its new energy policy this week. They're said to focus on batteries. Maybe they'll take him up. Oh, cool. Take your time, Australia. What's the rush? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Time is on my side. Hey, what's the rush? Yeah. So there you go, Des. Yeah. Uh, man, just things get uh, worse and worse. I, I have to keep going back to Paul Douglas and his optimism and hope that he's right. I hope he's uh, right, too. He's very good at that optimism thing. Uh, yeah, which we could use. Uh, got some uh, quick tweets uh, came in while we were uh, during the Green News report there uh, from Progressive Muse tweets me at the Brad blog. And I welcome you to do so as well. Says, just heard a caller on the Brad Blog's program on, oh, shoot, eh, suddenly it went away. Did it go to my computer went to sleep? <laughs> of course it did. Uh, it, well, it's only okay. when you need it on the air. I know, of course. Uh, I think it said, just, okay, there we go, it came back. Uh, on the Brad Blog's program, uh, uh, slut shaming 45s, that's Trump, slut shaming 45s wife. Why do you think it's okay to air that BS? Oh, well, um, I, he did not tell me he was going to say that before he came what on the air. What did he say? That he, was, he was slut shaming. He, he was criticizing Trump and calling her, I think he said, if I remember correctly, his porn star wife. Okay. Well, but. She's not a porn star. She was a model. She had some, you know, other. Softcore ish porn. I think. Uh, but in any event, all right. Was that well, slut shaming? Oh, well. Uh, okay. Uh, we, one of the reasons, uh, like you said, we don't know what folks are going to say. We like to open up the phones. We believe in, uh, you know, uh, free speech. And that's what happens sometimes. Uh, so you get some in return, Progressive Muse. Thank you for that uh, tweet. Also, Erin follows up her phone call with a tweet by says, hey, follow up your uh, t- uh, to follow up your underage minor comment. Uh, he was in full gear, but not in compliance with regulations for safety. Everyone's a comedian. Hey, my thanks to uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, uh, to our board op today, D'Angelo Jones, to my guest, Paul Douglas of Eris Weather and, of course, of the Star Tribune, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program... You can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. That's it. We'll be back with you. Same Brad time. Hopefully same Brad channel tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.